then just launch from there and go everywhere else. Um, we're going to read Mark 16 and 20. Um, beginning of the month, we started a little series, I guess, um, called Letting Him Work, Letting the Holy Ghost Work in Our Lives. Last week, we took a week off. We had a guest speaker. the video of sister Vesta Megan but um, I just want to say that um, the things we were talking about um, it's not an exhaustive list of all the things that you know the Holy Ghost uh, is trying to accomplish in our lives but it's just some of the things that maybe we can focus on and allow him to work on and uh, you wouldn't believe Amount of times someone will say to a preacher, Well, you forgot this. What about this thing? <laughs> Which is why we tell you to regularly to read and study on your own because uh, one cannot cover every single verse or point in a sermon or message, especially when it's a broad topic like what we've been talking about, or maybe holiness, or prayer, or worship, or things like that, where it's all throughout the Bible, you got to kind of pick and choose, and um, a sermon, or message, or lesson needs to kind of flow, not just read a bunch of verses, which, generally, I use a lot of verses, and uh, Kathleen's going to be working hard tonight, but anyways, Mark 16 and 20, it says, and they went forth and preached everywhere, and the Lord working with them and confirming the word with signs following. So this week we're going to focus on the workings of the Spirit. Everywhere the disciples went, things happened. Um, and things that we can expect to see happen in, in our our lives. And let's pray once more. Let's pray together. Jesus, God, we thank you for your word and your spirit. And God, I pray that we work together tonight, God, to speak to us. Jesus, I pray if we have already received the Holy Ghost, God, that we would allow you to, to work in our lives. And um, maybe maybe there's some things that we'll talk about that we, we aren't seeing happen. And God, I pray we would allow you to, to work in those, those situations. And God, if we haven't, I pray that you would fill us with your your spirit. In Jesus' name, I pray, God, let your will be done. Continue to guide and lead us. In Jesus' name, amen. You three can sit. Um, yeah, so when we receive the Holy Ghost, this is kind of we've been talking about, things that should happen in our lives after, like we've been saying, this is... Um, just receiving the gift of the Holy Ghost is just the beginning, and then he begins to work, and it's our responsibility and our duty to allow him to do so in our lives. And so the work of the Holy Ghost um, in an individual includes all kinds of things, regeneration or being born again or sanctification, um, empowerment, instruction, illumination, guidance, discernment. Preservation, conviction, anointing, all these big fancy preacher words. And so these uh, workings of the Spirit um, help the believer to be assured in what, you know, who we are, um, bold in our faith, comforted when things happen, confident, um, directs us, keeps us holy, keeps us from evil, and 
seals our salvation and which one is it? Oh, I can't see. I looked at them. Oh, um, among other benefits. So, um, without the empowerment of um, the Spirit, we would be unable to resist temptation, peer pressure, lust of the flesh, lust of the eye, uh, unable to flee youthful lust, and unable to remain humble as a servant of God. So the Holy Ghost does all that stuff. And um, the purpose of this lesson is to show how God's Spirit, or the Holy Ghost, can and will work within a person, helping the individual believer to overcome sin and do the work of God, because that's what we want to see in our church, in our lives, in our family, hopefully. Um, as we read um, through the New Testament, and we can see the influence of the Holy Ghost in the early church. Um, he instructs Philip in Acts 8, calls ministers in the service, Acts 13, sends out workers, Acts 13, um, tells people not to do certain things in Acts 16, intercedes in Romans 8, 26 to 27. And, um, these relationships show that in each instance, the believer is now working with the, the Holy Ghost inside of them. So what does the Holy Ghost working in our lives look like? We're going to hit, um, I think it's seven things. So uh, it might be a little longer if I don't pass out first. <laughs> Feeling warm and Woozy. So the first thing the Holy Ghost does, if we're all still awake and we're ready to go, the first thing the Holy Ghost does is when we receive him, he teaches and guides us. John, 1 John 2 and 20 says, But ye have an unction from the Holy One, and ye know all things. The Holy Ghost knows truth. And Jesus calls the Holy Ghost in um, John 16 and 13, he calls it the Spirit of Truth. So if we believe that the Holy Ghost is the Spirit of God living inside of us, and we believe that the Bible is God-breathed or God-inspired or God's Word, which we should, 2 Timothy 3, 16, and then it only makes sense that the Holy Ghost will be able to teach us and give us understanding, especially when it comes to the Word of God. Right? Does that make sense? We're following? John 14, um, 26, Jesus said, But the Comforter, which is the Holy Ghost, whom the Father will send in my name, he shall teach you all things and shall and bring all things to your remembrance whatsoever I have said unto you. Um, when you want to know what uh, something means that someone said, who do you go to? <laughs> if you want to cause problems, you go to someone else. But if you want to know really what the person that said the thing, you know, what they mean by what they said, um, it's better to go to that person. I remember uh, in high school English, um, I was smart for a bit before I just gave up, but I was in the, the highest the highest level of English. I'm so smart. Um, and we were reading a book called Wuthering Heights. And I hate this book because of my English class. I don't even think that, I don't know, the whole book, I just wrote it off because we spent months on this book. We spent weeks before we even read the book. I'm sure it was weeks. It felt like weeks. Talking about the names of every character in the book. And dissecting the ever-loving life out of it. Have you, anyone ever read this? I'm just alone. So the <laughs> Wuthering. 
I remember this. This was like 50 years ago. I don't know. <laughs> Almost 20 years ago. I still remember weathering. He went on and on about how that sounds dark and dreary. Just for whatever. And then the main, the guy's character, the guy character's name is Heathcliff. And that name was chosen because it sounds brooding and moody. And that's what he was. And you think of the Heath and, and the cliff. It's just dangerous. Oh. Just on and on for weeks, I'm sure. And I remember getting frustrated in this class and thinking to myself, maybe they just picked the name. Maybe you like the name Heathcliff. I don't know. Maybe someone should have asked Emily Bronte why she named them what she named them. Because the thing is, when something is written or said, we can project all kinds of things on, onto it. Right? There's a, this is what the Pharisees and religious leaders in Jesus' day, they did to the Old Testament. They projected their beliefs and their preferences onto the Word of God. People are still doing that. Well, this doesn't mean that. No, this, I think this is what it means. God wouldn't, you know, you've heard it. Talk to anybody about the Bible. And they'll come up. Well, I think it's, we don't need to, we don't need to do that. I don't think, no, whatever. Not getting into that. Which is why there, there's so many offshoots of Christianity, every everyone is taking things differently and um, projecting their beliefs, their preferences, their culture, their background, all this stuff onto the, the Word of God. And my 11th grade English teacher um, could not ask Emily Bronte why Heathcliff was named Heathcliff or why she chose the name Wuthering Heights because she died in 1848. That's a long time ago. That's an old book. But we have access to the Holy Ghost in our lives. And when we received his spirit, he can teach us what the, the word means. When we have issues, we're reading something. Oh, God, I don't know what this means. He can teach us if we allow him to do that. We have access to the author. We couldn't ask Emily what she meant by the names. That, and she probably just, I don't know, maybe she had a crush on a guy named Heathcliff once. Who knows? Yeah. We just... Same with Shakespeare, all ridiculous. Nobody knows what they meant. They just wrote a book. Give it a break. <laughs> but we have access to the author. We can ask questions in prayer, and we can let him teach us and convict us and work on us. And sometimes, sometimes he'll straighten us out. Some things we may have wrong, but if we're willing to allow him to teach us, he will. The Spirit and the Word work together. There's, there's comfort in that, right? There's comfort in, in having knowledge. The old saying is knowledge is power. Um, so many jobs depend on knowledge. Why do we call a lawyer? Because they know more about the law than we do. Although there's people online that think they know more than anyone else. But they know the system. They know how it works. Why do we go to a doctor? Because they have the knowledge if something is seriously wrong or not, why do we, um, we get architects to, to design and build things so they don't fall down? Because they know what they need. That, they're paid for their knowledge. You know, farmers, they know when to plant, what to watch for, when to harvest, how to run all the machines. Why do we call a plumber or an electrician? Because of the knowledge they have. We pay them for 
their knowledge because they've dedicated themselves to learning about a certain thing and that knowledge that they've gained and that knowledge they've gathered over time is power. They are paid for what they know and if they can be that committed to knowing about these things, how much more should we be able to commit to knowing about the Word of God and the ways of God? There should be, we should have knowledge and through the Holy Ghost working and teaching, we have access to all of that that knowledge. So we need, we need to allow the, the Spirit to teach us and uh, commit to that. Knowledge is power, and the more that we know, the more we understand in the Spirit, the stronger we'll be. But if we don't ever allow Him to teach us, if we don't ever you know, look for that knowledge, if we don't ever get the Word in us, if we don't pray and all that, we're not going to be very strong or very useful to anyone when something happens. Oh, you call a plumber to come fix? Well, I've tried to call plumbers, but nobody ever wants to come. Thankfully, Jeff does. <laughs> but, you know, if someone comes up, well, I got some questions. Well, I don't know. Talk to my pastor. I don't know everything either. <laughs> but I'm trying. So if we're working, we have access to the Holy Ghost. He can teach us. And then you know, people need to know we, we're there to help. Um, makes us stronger. Not only does the Holy Ghost teach us, He guides us too. In Acts 10, the Holy Ghost, uh, if you watched online on Sunday, the Holy Ghost guided Peter to the Gentiles. Peter thought they were unclean. He viewed them as such. He had a vision and argued with a voice from heaven over what was clean or unclean. And while this was going on, some Gentiles showed up at the house and were asking to see him. And Acts 10, um, 19 and 20, and Peter thought on the vision, the Spirit said unto him, Behold, three men seek thee, arise therefore and get thee down and go with them, doubting nothing, for I have sent them. So the Holy Ghost sent um, these men to Peter, and the Spirit told Peter, he guided him to go with them. And Peter went with them and came to Cornelius' house. The guy who had sent these three, and um, 42 to 48, he commanded us to preach unto the people and to testify that. Um, to testify that is he which was ordained of God to be the judge of the quick and dead, to give uh, all the prophets witness that through his name, whosoever believeth in him shall receive remission of sins. And while Peter yet spake these words, the Holy Ghost fell on all them which heard the word. And they of the circumcision which believed were astonished as many as came with Peter, because that on the Gentiles also was poured out the gift of the Holy Ghost. And they heard him speak with tongues and all this. And Peter bowed. Tyson. Peter never would have went to Cornelius' house on his own. Right? The Gentiles were the enemy. They were unclean. And, and But it, if he hadn't allowed the Holy Ghost to lead them, who knows what would have happened. So the Holy, Ghost will teach, the Holy Ghost taught Peter, these guys aren't as unclean as you thought they were. I want to fill them with my spirit as well. And it was through that that Peter... You know, accepted Cornelius' invitation, preached, Holy Ghost fell on him, and all. And that's where we come from. Amen. Right? right? There are many things that if it wasn't for the Holy Ghost um, teaching and guiding, um, we wouldn't do. I wouldn't be preaching or teaching, that's for sure. No, it's hard to believe. I don't like people. <laughs> what I mean is I don't like talking to people. <laughs> hard to believe, right? I do it every, yeah, I like you guys. But I'm very, 
introverted. I hate public speaking. You know, I was said I was smart once. I was in um, level one French, which is the highest level in French. And um, we had to teach the class a lesson in French uh, in order to, to pass. And I was like, well, I guess I'm going down to level two because I'm not teaching. We get up in front of the class and I'm, here we am. <laughs> so it wasn't for God's leading and guiding, I would not be up here talking to anyone. Because <laughs> I don't like attention. But here we are. And so through God, the Holy Ghost leads us and guides us. And so that's one thing um, he does. Even sometimes before we receive the gift of the Holy Ghost, if we are open and sensitive, he will guide us. People, um, we've heard stories about people feeling or having a feeling that they just needed to go to a certain church. Um, you know, Cornelius praying and God speaking to him before he had the Holy Ghost and sending his people to get Peter. Right? Sometimes it happens before. So he, he teaches and he guides us in the Holy Ghost. That's the first thing. The Holy Ghost also um, discerns doctrine. The word doctrine is just, it just means teachings, different teachings. Uh, in the last days, uh, there will be many false doctrines and false prophets. You can turn on your TV and listen to some of these things that are being preached. And just eaten up by people. All this feel good, get some stuff, God wants you to be happy. You do you, boo. All that nonsense. <laughs> just be yourself. God just wants you to be the best version of you, and that's... God wants you to be saved. <laughs> be the... All this... <laughs> Anyways. Mark <laughs> 13 and 22... Um, Jesus said, for false Christ and false prophets shall rise and shall show signs and wonders to seduce, if it were possible, even the elect. In Matthew 24 and 24, he says, for there shall also arise false Christ and false prophets and shall show great signs and wonders in so much, if it were possible, they shall deceive the very elect. So Jesus warned us that there would be folks who try to Deceive and try to lead people astray, which is why it is um, so important for us to be filled with the Holy Ghost and let Him lead and let Him guide us. There are so many things, and now that we have the internet, we have access to so many. Before people had to come to your church and preach ridiculous things, now you can just turn on your computer or your TV or your phone and get all the crazy stuff you want. Jesus warned that there are folks, there would be folks that try to deceive and lead people astray, which is why it's important for us to be filled with the Spirit. There, um, there's so many things being thrown around out there that sound good or sound true, but when you look at it a little deeper, you can see there's false um, doctrine underneath it. For example, this there's this prevailing theory I touched on it for a second. But, Thing, this thing that people preach and they have massive churches and or whatever you want to call it um, and preach about God wanting you to just be happy I don't even heard this sort of thing and he loves you so he wants you to be happy and that's it like a loving father wants his children to be happy that sounds good right? it sounds like something that makes sense 
God loves me. He wants me to be happy. That sounds like what the Bible says, but that's not in, in there. God wants us to be holy. God wants us to be saved. He will give us peace and joy, unspeakable and full of glory, but happiness, that's not the same because happiness is dependent on surroundings. Happiness comes and goes. If our happiness is all that God is concerned about, then our roles have been reversed. And God has become our servant, and it's his job to make me happy, which that's not right. But on the surface, that sounds really nice. Maybe I'll preach it Sunday. No, <laughs> just kidding. But if, if that's what God, you know, all he cares about is making us happy, then we've become God. And he's just there to serve us, which is supposed to be the opposite. We are supposed to live a life pleasing to him, not the other way around. So there's all kinds of things like this. And if we have the Holy Ghost, he will speak to us and help us to discern these things. Um, but, you know, that sounds good. It sounds like something we should preach or teach, but it's wrong. Read the, read the book of Job. Read the epistles. Read the gospels. There are all kinds of moments in these books that are very unhappy. But God works in these moments anyway, and that's, that's what we really need to hear. And the Holy Ghost, the Spirit of God living inside us, will warn us when we come across False doctrines, and that's just a pretty um, surface one. There's all kinds of things, but we don't have time for that. The most dangerous ones are the ones that sound very similar to what the Bible says. The tale as old as time. The Garden of Eden. Yeah, that's what the serpent did. Didn't God say this thing that sounds very similar to what God said? And he was like, yeah, that sounds about right. And here we are. The more we walk with Jesus, the more we recognize this prompting and he can teach us and he can help us discern these false teachings. In the book of Acts, chapter 8, Peter comes across a man named Simon. He was a sorcerer and he wanted to buy the Holy Ghost because he saw the miracles that were happening with the disciples. And he was able, um, Peter was able to say in verse 23, he said, I perceive that thou art in the gall of bitterness and the bond of iniquity. Peter discerned it. He saw it. Um, because he was full of the Holy Ghost, God showed him something. Paul said in 2 Timothy 4, 3-4, For the time will come when they will not endure sound doctrine, but after their own lusts shall they heap to themselves teachers, having itching ears, and they shall turn away their ears from the truth, and shall be turned unto fables. So Paul said this time is coming when people are not going to listen to sound doctrine. They're not going to listen to what the Bible says. They're going to um, get their own teachers that tell them things they want to hear. And uh, that's what's happening. And uh, he warned in 1 Timothy 4, 1 to 3 in the English Standard, it says, Now the Spirit is expressly says that in the later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from food that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. So he says that the Spirit is saying that in the last days and last times, people are going to be leaving the faith and devoting themselves to these false teachings. Peter warns about it in 2 Peter 2. Um, John warns about it in um, 
Second um, John 1 and 7. So it's all through the, the New Testament. The Holy Ghost will help us to discern this. In 1 John 4 and 1, um, the best advice we have is from John. It says, Beloved, believe not every spirit, but try the spirits whether they are of God, because many false prophets are gone out into the world. So when we come across a new teaching, um, even if it's something that comes from up here, you can do it if you want. Uh, you hear something that sounds different. Um, tread carefully. Pray about it. Test the spirits. Bring it to God in prayer. Compare it with the Bible. And let him lead and guide. That's what the Holy Ghost will do. The Holy Ghost is the spirit of truth. And Jesus said he will guide us into all truth. And that means of avoiding the lies. I know that was a lot of verses. We got more. But that was something that the early church really had to battle against. Peter approached it. John did. Paul. These are the big guys. They were fighting against it. It was something they really had to battle. And something that we do too. Um, you know, they had some saying, oh, well, we've got grace, we can do whatever we want. And they had others on the other side saying, you need to obey every single law. If you break one, you're done, and all this stuff. We have no different. Um, when you say peoples is peoples, we haven't really changed much. Same, the same types of false teachings, just maybe in a different wrapping. And so it's important for us to read and to study and to know the word and be filled with the spirit. And allow him to speak and work and guide us through uh, both of these things. Uh, discernment and letting him teach. Does that make sense so far? Those are two things. So we're going to be a while. <laughs> It'll go quicker now, I think. The third thing is the Holy Ghost um, assures our acceptance as a child of God. How do we know that we're saved? It's simple, because we have received the gift of the Holy Ghost, we've been baptized in Jesus' name. And a lot of times we can focus on, on works and, you know, well, look at what this person does. They must be saved. They give a lot. They've gone on missions trips. They've done this or they've done that. Or we can, we can try to do things to be saved, you know. I haven't been to church in a while, but here's some money. I'll make up for it. Or, I, you know, I better go today. I haven't been three months, but I better go because I'm, I'm saved. Whatever. You know, we can, we can do things that try to, I don't know, we're trying to do trick God or make up for it. I don't know, people do it. Don't look at me like I'm crazy. I don't know, I never had these thoughts, but some do. <laughs> and we try to earn salvation by doing or, or giving or... You know, if I, if I volunteer, then I'll be saved. If I do this, you know, whatever. Or we think we're saved maybe because we've seen miracles or we've been used or we prophesied once upon a time and God spoke through us or we preached once or we sang a special or whatever, but being used doesn't mean that we're saved either. God used a donkey to speak to Balaam and that doesn't mean the donkey was saved. Jesus said in Matthew 7, to 23, Many will say to me in that day, Lord, Lord, have we not...
prophesied in thy name, and in thy name have cast out devils, and in thy name done many wonderful works, and then I will profess unto them, I never knew you, depart from me, ye that work iniquity. So this means that being used does not equal being saved. So the truth of the matter, the truth of the matter is there are many Christians who don't become missionaries, who don't sacrifice you know, everything and move across the world. There are many people that don't preach from behind a pulpit or they never prophesy, they never cast out a demon or they never lay hands on someone sick and see them healed. They never do all these things, but their name is written in the Lamb's book of life. They're saved. It's not by what we do. I know we know this, but sometimes we can get off course. Romans 8 9 says, But ye are not in the flesh, but in the spirit. If so, be that the Spirit of God dwell in you. Now, if any man have not the Spirit of Christ, he is none of him's, none of his. So if we have the Spirit, we have the Holy Ghost, we are his. If not, we aren't. That's it. It's plain and simple. Romans 8 and 16 says, The Spirit itself beareth witness with our spirit that we are the children of God. You can also read First um, John 3, 24 and 4 and 13, if you would like. So if you're ever doubting that you're a child of God, there's a simple test. Do you have the Holy Ghost? Check yes or no. Yes? Yes. If no, not yet. You can receive it anytime you want. Repent, pray, and ask Him to fill you, and you'll know, because again, you'll speak in other tongues like we've talked about before. Make sense so far? It's clear? The next thing the Holy Ghost does in our lives is he convicts us of sin. Holy means, among other things, not sinful. So if we have the Holy Ghost, whenever sin comes in contact with us, it should not mesh. It should, you know, cause a discomfort. We should know that there's something wrong, and we call that conviction, not, you know, condemnation, not beating ourselves up, but knowing that something is wrong and caring enough to address it. John 16 8 to 11 in the English Standard Version says, and when he comes with the Holy Ghost, he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and judgment concerning sin because they do not believe in me. Concerning righteousness because I go to the Father and you will see me no longer. Concerning judgment because the rule of this world is judged. But he says, when he comes he will convict the world concerning sin and righteousness and Judgment. The neat part about this part, the thing that the Holy Ghost does, is we don't even necessarily need uh, to have received the Holy Ghost to experience this conviction. In fact, that is what leads us to repentance in the first place. When the Holy Ghost is working, we feel convicted. Um, just by being in the presence of God himself alone is enough to convict anyone, right? What caused you to repent in the first place? There has to have, had to have been some sort of conviction. Why, why did you get baptized? Why do you keep coming to church? There's a feeling that you should. In Acts 2, the Jews in Jerusalem asked Peter what was going on, and he preached and he told them about Jesus. And verse 37 says, Now when they heard this, they were pricked in their hearts and said to Peter and the rest of the apostles, Men and brethren, what shall we do? They were pricked in their hearts, or they were convicted before they received the Holy Ghost. Paul says in 2 Corinthians 7 and 10, For godly sorrow worketh repentance to 
salvation. So there's this, this conviction, this um, sorry feeling. It comes from God and it leads us to repentance and salvation. And when we're filled with the Holy Ghost, when we're walking in the Spirit, when we're following after God and we sin, we fail, we fall, we disobey, He will correct us and convict us. Why? Because He loves us so that we can repent and be forgiven. He doesn't just save us to leave us the same way, but He continues working on us. And a lot of that work is done through conviction and repentance. I think I told you before, I have a preacher friend that just told me he preaches repentance every week. If you want anything to happen, that's where it starts. Repent. We did that for a bit, didn't we? <laughs> Sometimes he convicts us of stuff we didn't even know we needed to be re- we needed to repent of. Um, which again is why it's so important to pray and to walk in the Spirit and to read the Word. I don't know if this ever happened to you, but you're like reading, reading through the Bible or listening to it or something, and then a verse just like Smacks you upside the face, or however you want to word it. Pricks your heart, I guess, is the Bible way. <laughs> right? It happens. It just speaks to us, and that, that's the Holy Ghost working, the Word and the Spirit working together, they do that. So it's important for us to be filled with the Spirit. It's also important for us to get the Word as well. They work together. The next thing the Holy Ghost does in our lives is that it illuminates, which means um, light enabling one to understand. Um, yeah, I don't know if you, how many times uh, have you read the Bible and you have no idea what's going on, especially in the King James Version. <laughs> Happens quite a bit, right? When you get to those prophecy parts, Who knows what's going on? But if we agree and we believe that God moved through men of old to write the Bible, and that is the Word of God, 2 Timothy 3, 16, 2 Peter 1, 20-21, we believe that. If we believe that he's the author of the book, like we already said, surely the author can explain what things mean to us. It goes back to Wuthering Heights. Surely the author can explain what these things mean to us, and surely he can reveal the meaning. A fancy word for that is illuminating. When the light comes on. I've told you before about one of my absolute favorite things about West Africa. It, it's not just Benin this time. It happened in Ghana, and I talked to other missionaries, and it's like all across the West Africa, at least. Um, is the uh-huh. Did I tell you about this before? I think I did. And when you're talking to someone, usually, you know, French is my second language, and it's like way low on the second. Like, I can speak English okay, and French is like awful. Like, whatever. But that's the only other one I know, and I don't really know it. And then there, where we were anyway, that's their second language as well. And they really know how much you know they learned in school, and not, you don't have to go to school. So some people know it okay, and some people don't. And so when you're trying to teach, you're you're both using your second language, and 
And then they're like, oh, and their always nose is going on. And then there's a, ah, ah, or a, ah. And they, when they, they let you know that they understand, it could be anything. You could be like, just telling directions or something. But um, most of the time when I was speaking French, it was in, in a church because that's what we were doing and, and teaching in a Bible school or something. And, and I just, at first it was like weird because nobody ever amends me. A couple of you might. But generally, everyone just looks at me. <laughs> and it's not just you, it's everywhere I go. No one gets me, which is fine. I'm used to it now. And these people were like, uh-huh. I was just like, what's going on? I was like, stop it. You're distracting me. I'm not used to this. And it was slightly weird and annoying, but you know, we're just, we're Canadian, we're expressionless, we're maritimers, we don't, unless there's like a hockey game going on or something, and um, <laughs> you tell someone something, yeah, sure, and then they forget it instantly, right? But they just were just hanging on to every word, and you would know when when it hits, when it just makes sense, and the lights come on, it's illuminated, uh-huh, oh, and they're just, it was amazing. It was most fun. And I was like, oh, there's another one. And like, it was just great. And oh, and they're, it was wonderful. They just, you can see it happening. Just being illuminated. It's pretty awesome. And you know, we're Canadian. We're um, emotionless. <laughs> it's not always as obvious. But this illumination is something that we need. And it's, a, it's another thing that the Holy Ghost does through us. There's been times, you know, I'm reading uh, the Bible or praying or whatever, and then something, you know, the light comes on. I'm like, whoa! And I just, like, start trying to write things down, because usually it's when I'm getting something ready to preach, and then I forget half of it, and you get the leftovers. But at that moment, I was like, wow, this is amazing! And But the, the Holy Ghost does this through us, and he shows us what the, the Bible means. He shows us things in the spirit. We don't, sorry, I got a little distracted. Are we okay? 1 Corinthians 2, 14 of the English Standard. <laughs> it says, The natural person does not accept the things of the Spirit of God, for they are folly to him, and he is not able to understand them because they are spiritually um, discerned. So without the Spirit, we can't understand necessarily all the things in the Bible or all the things of the Spirit. A few verses earlier in the King James, he says in 9 and, 9 and 10, he says, But it is written, I have not seen, nor ear have heard, neither have entered into the heart of man, but the things which God hath prepared for him that love him. But God hath revealed them unto us by his Spirit, for the Spirit searches all things, yea, the deep things of God. So he says he reveals things to us through the Spirit or through the Holy Ghost. There will be times when we are reading the Bible or we're studying the Bible or even maybe listening to preaching or teaching and hopefully once in a while at least and the lights come on and we'll connect this verse to this passage uh, you know and just it just starts to make sense and we have that uh-huh moment and suddenly things you know something makes sense of the fog's lifted or whatever I don't know if that's ever happened to you but when it does it's like wow this is amazing that's illumination and Acts 2, Peter, through the Holy Ghost, he connects the prophecy in Joel chapter 2 with what's happening right there when he's preaching. Peter didn't have any notes. He got up and just started talking. 
And God started speaking through him, and it all became connected and, and, and illuminated. In Acts 10, before Cornelius and his family and friends are filled with the Holy Ghost, Peter realizes, I think it's verse 34, that God is no respecter of persons, and that he's going to fill these guys with the Holy Ghost, and then he starts to preach to them. He start, everything kind of falls into place and makes sense and becomes illuminated. And before he was done, we know the story, they were speaking in, in tongues. So there are moments that the Holy Ghost illuminates things and makes things clear um, to us. Two more things. We're almost done. He also transforms lives. Romans 12 and 2 says, And be not conformed to this world, but be transformed by the renewing of your mind, that ye may prove what is that good and acceptable and perfect will of God. There should also be a transforming when we have the Spirit of God. In Acts 2, after 3,000 were added to the church in verse 42, you know, we stop at 38, but there's other verses. Verse 42, they continued in the, the apostles' doctrine, praying and fellowshipping and breaking bread and all that. These guys weren't even part of the church. They got the Holy Ghost, and now they're doing whatever the apostles teach. This went further. There was something, there was a transformation. They were making fun of them. They went from mocking them and saying they were drunk to eating at their houses and breaking bread and praying together. There was a there was a change and they became more dedicated. And these guys, they went from crucifying Jesus a few weeks ago to following him that quickly. There's a transformation that takes place when we're filled with the Spirit. Look at the story of um, Saul of Tarsus. Or Paul. Trent completely changed. We're made new, but again, we need to allow him to continue the work. There are things we've talked about before, but there are things that we need to stop doing. For example, uh, Ephesians 4, um, 22 to 30, in the English Standard, it said, Put off your old self, which belongs to your former manner of life and is corrupt through deceitful desires, and be renewed in the spirit of your minds, and put on the new self created after the likeness of God and true righteousness and holiness. Therefore, having put away falsehood, let each one of you speak the truth with his neighbor, for we are members of one another. So he's saying, take this thing off, put this thing on. Take off lies and put on the truth. Be angry, he says, and don't sin, and don't let the sun go down on your anger. And then he says, give no opportunity to the devil. If you're a thief, he says, let not the thief no longer steal, or let the thief no longer steal, but rather let him labor, doing honest work with his own hands, so that he may have something to share with anyone he needs. So if you're a thief, you come to God, stop it. Get a job. <laughs> That's what he says. <laughs> he says, let no corrupting talk come out of your mouth, but only such as good for building up. So if you, you're negative, you like to tear people down, stop it, start building them up. As it fits the occasion, that it may give grace to those who hear. And what is the point of all of doing all this. Verse 30, it says, and do not grieve the Holy Spirit of God by whom you are sealed for the day of redemption. Grieve means to, to pain or to vex or to distress or upset. And we don't allow ourselves to be changed by the Spirit of God. That upsets Him. If we keep doing these things, we're going to grieve the Spirit. He wants to change us. Let Him change us. He loves us too much to leave us the same way he found us. And this, you know, this tells us, uh, put off the old man, put on the new, and change your ways. And 
Um, Colossians 3, 9 to 10. Lie not one to another, seeing as you put off the old man with his deeds, and have put on the new man, which is renewed in knowledge after the image of him that created him. So the Holy Ghost helps us with this. He transformed us. He works on us. He gives us strength and resolve and determination to not do these things anymore and to be a new person, to stop the old ways, to change. We have to let him. We have to want it. And the last thing, are you glad? <laughs> the last thing that we're going to talk about is he anoints. In the Old Testament, the priest and, and others would anoint a person with oil to separate them unto God for a certain act or deed or role. Something like that. To show that they were called and set apart for a specific purpose. So Samuel came and he anointed David as a child to be king. He set him apart. He marked him for a specific purpose. Priests would be anointed. Other people for different things would be anointed. But the New Testament, that starts changing. And it's less about the oil and more about the spirit. So the spirit shows up. If you read the beginning of the Gospels, the spirit shows up more um, and more or less anoints, for lack of a better word, a person and marks them as set apart for God and called for a purpose. When Jesus was baptized by John, in John chapter 1, John sees the Spirit coming down like a dove to signify that he was a son of God. Or kind of like an anointing to mark him to John that this is the one that you've been preaching about. This is the one that you've been looking for to show him. In Luke 4, 18-19, Jesus is reading from Isaiah, and he says, The Spirit of the Lord is upon me, because he hath anointed me to preach the gospel. The Spirit is connected to the anointing. He's called me. He's appointed me um, to preach the gospel to the poor. Uh, he hath sent me to heal the brokenhearted, to preach deliverance to the captives, recovering a sight to the blind, and set at liberty them that are bruised, to preach the acceptable year of the Lord. And he's quoting Isaiah. In Acts 10, 38, Peter is preaching to Cornelius, and he says that Jesus was anointed by the Holy Ghost to do good and heal and all that. And it means that he's set apart for that. Right? Does that make sense so far? And um, so we go back to the beginning of you know the Gospels. You've got John the Baptist and his parents Bible says they're filled with the Holy Ghost or anointed and set apart for a specific ministry. John specifically chosen to be the forerunner of Jesus before he was ever conceived. He's marked, anointed. And so in the New Testament, the Holy Ghost becomes that anointing oil and separates us to do a work that enables and qualifies us to do that work. David was able to be king because he was anointed. <clears throat> Jesus did all he did because he was God, yes, but he was anointed or set apart to do that, the Bible says, and he did. He did it, and we are as well. 2 Corinthians 1, 21-22 says, Now he which establisheth, establisheth us with you in Christ hath anointed us is God. He which establisheth us is God who hath also sealed us and given us the earnest of the Spirit in our hearts. In 1 John 2, 
and 20, but ye have the unction from the Holy One and know all things. Unction means anointing. So when the disciples received the Holy Ghost, what happened? There was tongues as a fire that sat on them that showed that they were marked, right? Anointed, if you will. And you see a change in these men and women. Peter, who weeks um, before had run away and denied Jesus, now he's boldly proclaiming salvation in Jesus' name. He goes to jail for preaching it. And they beat him. He said, don't do it anymore. And he does it again. That doesn't sound like the same guy that was hiding around a fire. There's a complete change. The early church, they had a boldness that came from being anointed by the Holy Ghost. And they were persecuted. They didn't pray to be delivered. They prayed for boldness. And just like in the Old Testament, someone would be anointed for a specific thing. And so when the Holy Ghost comes on us, when he's calling us for something, he will enable us. If he's calling you to do something, he's going to do it through you. David was anointed to be king. It took a while when he got there. If God's calling us to do something through his spirit, he will enable us and he will do the work through us. Does that make any sort of sense? And so the Holy Ghost, if we allow him to work in our lives, he should teach us and guide us, should help us to discern doctrine, should assure us that we are his children, should convict us when we're wrong, should illuminate and show us things in his word, uh-huh. should transform us, and he will anoint us to do whatever it is that he's calling us to do, set us apart for that. Amen. Well, let's stand. That was longer than normal. I hope you're okay. 50 minutes.